0: Good evening, everybody. Are y'all awake? That's good news. I'm glad you're here. Tonight's going to be an interesting one. First thing I've got to do is, well, first I want to say thank you to everybody online and any of you that were here, whoever sent me all the questions this week. It was great. We just got bombarded with questions, myself, Pastor Jeff, a bunch of us got questions coming in and it's great i'm going to try to answer a few of those tonight because there was a couple of them that were very important i think everybody wants to know a big one this came in from um christina lackey christina i hope you're watching because i haven't been able to email you yet but i'm going to answer a couple of your questions tonight um she asked about lucifer and his story where it's found how do we know about it all of that stuff everybody a lot of people then as i mentioned it to people everybody says yeah i want to know that too yeah I i figured you know what Let's get it all over one time here, okay? Let's just get it out so I don't have to keep repeating myself. Here's the deal. When the first... Does anybody remember the very first Bible printed? Printed. Gutenberg and language? No. It was in the Latin. Remember? It was Latin Vulgate. And in Latin Vulgate, it's very interesting because when we go to the place... That talks most there's two chapters in the Bible that talk mostly about Lucifer and who he was and what he did. Okay, the the first one you want to go to Ezekiel 28 as one, and you can read all about him in there, and it talks a lot about who he was, the things he did, that he was really wanted to be like God, and he wanted to, that's where we get this story from of who he wanted to be. And then you have Jesus telling us in Luke how he saw saw Satan, who is the same name for Lucifer, thrown down. But how did we get the word Lucifer? You see, in the Latin language, if you read in um, Ezekiel 28 and also Isaiah 14, 12, those two places, Isaiah 14 and and Ezekiel 28, and in the whole book of, of Ezekiel, Whenever he's mentioned, he talks about the old bright star. You may have day star, the bright star, shining one. Because, you see, Lucifer was never a proper name for this being. But here's the problem. Because the people who did the Latin Vulgate in 1611, what Bible was then printed in 1611? Okay, let's try this again. No, that's in 1400s. 1611 was the very first version of a certain guy in England. King James. King James, thank you very much. I'm glad you could all catch up. We got a lot of work to do in this class. I can see that right now. So yes, and King James was the very first, the very first one that was written. Well, see the the amazing people that were in the 1611 version of the King James. They did a great translation, but their text was in certain places really messed up and really in a lot of trouble so a lot of times when they would look at the scrolls that they were trying to get the the translations for they would go to the latin vulgate and try because they were all very fluent in latin they would try to take the words from the latin to figure out how to get put the whole king james version bible together in english well in doing so in Latin, the only way that they could figure out how to describe as they looked at the scrolls of Ezekiel that they had, only way that they could translate the word that was for the day star shining one and all that was Lucifer. See, it was never intended to be a proper name. It's just what he was. He was the bright and shining one of the hits. Then later on, when the King James came out, if you ha- anybody has a King James Bible, you're going to see Lucifer mentioned a few times in the King James Bible. In other versions, the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, a, li- a lot of the other ones, NIVs and other things, you'll see bright star, day star, morning star. You'll see all of these things mentioned in the chapters where he is mentioned But if you go back to the King James and look at those same verses, you will see the name Lucifer. This is where he came from because it really is him, Satan, Lucifer. It's still the same one. The red dragon, as we get there, when we get there to chapter 12, you will all see that all of these names fit the one who is the enemy of God. If you want to find out why he was the enemy of God and what he did, you're going to go to Ezekiel 28 and to Isaiah 14 and you can find the story there. Um, I did not want to. I could have done a whole night just on the whole thing of who he is, what he did, and what happens here on this earth because we all know that some of the attitudes that he has shot his arrows with, and that's the term that I use for making us feel guilty, sad, lonely, depressed, you know, and his big list of who he wants us to be. So in that, we find out that he really was the being, the enemy of God, because he wanted to be like God, wanted to be who he was. And that should take care of that. Now, also in chapter 6, when I talked about how at the end of chapter 6, when it says um, all the rocks were falling on, um, and if you go to chapter 6, one back one page... Uh, verse 15 it says then the kings of the earth of the great ones and the generals the rich and powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks calling out please fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the lamb. I didn't talk about the slaves and the free and somebody is asking me why that is and she said because it doesn't seem they would do anything wrong. Here's the issue. The issue is this. If certain slaves were to take on and support, love, honor, cherish, give homage to the deities of their owners, they would befall the same fate as as those who did. Remember, God tells us many times, where does God judge? Thank you. I need you guys to speak up quicker. Here we go. When God is out there and he's looking at us, he looks at the heart, right? Right? God knows these people, the slaves and the free. What he's trying to say here is that simply understand that just because they're a slave person doesn't mean that they automatically get into heaven. You don't just get into heaven by your station. You get into heaven one way, and that's in John 14, 6. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we, we understand and know that that's the only way to get there. When we talk about all of the people of the earth, those who dwell on the earth, remember we, I told you before that phrase is referring to those who didn't believe, the enemies of God. When he says those who dwell on the earth, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the ones who refused to believe who God Jehovah was. And that is who he's referring to in that, that lesson in chapter 6. Um, one other thing before we move on to chapter 7 where we talked about, um, oh, the angels. Somebody asked me how come angels were not mentioned in the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is, is, what does Genesis mean? In the beginning and the creation. God is creating everything. The angels in heaven were already there with him, correct? So in other words, it wasn't that he was trying to create angels on the earth, but everything on the earth that he was creating, that's what the book of Genesis is about. And I hope that answers those questions. There was a couple more that came out. And I've, fortunately, I left a piece of paper at home sitting on my table. Really, so I could remember to bring it. And it's still sitting on my table at home. So we're going to just, I'll, I will address all those uh, questions when they come. Tonight, we're going to go into chapter 7. And again, I have to give the caveat that... When I give, share the information that I share with you, I hope that you all understand and know that this is the information as best as I can research it, and I will give you my backup and my reasons why and my wherefores and all of those things, and then things, but remember, here's some things that you have to understand as well. We need to remember that there are points There are events. There are things that we take by faith. Because why? They're in this book. And this book is God's word. This book is the holy word of God. And if this book says it, I loved this when I was in um, high school. People used to call me a Jesus freak. And I told them, oh, thank you so very much. Because Jesus doesn't make people out of freaks. I mean, he doesn't make freaks out of people. He makes people out of freaks. I mean, I'm not saying that you're a freak, but I'm just saying it's what God does for you. When you come to him a freak, he makes you a people. And they used to get real upset with me, and I said, well, listen, God said it, I believe it, and that kind of settles it. And that's where I'm going with this, is that this is what I believe to be true through a lot of hours of research, sometimes more than a lot of my friends and family thought I was a little crazy. That's okay. I kind of liked it. I was all right with that. If you're going to be crazy, you might be crazy for Jesus. Amen. So we, we have to uh, look at chapter 7 tonight. Now chapter 7 is interesting because this is where there is a big debate on a certain number. And if we look, <laughs> and if we look at chapter 7, we're going to see that straight up. Because it starts here in verse 1. After this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, which is which direction? Thank you. With the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea, or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. That's huge in itself. I'm going to stop right there for just a second. Because the whole tribes of Israel thing is going to change. (laughs) Remember, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just reading the stuff. Here we go. So at the beginning of this, saw the four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Four angels from where? Does anybody remember? Say it again. Well, not, no, these, these are the four angels that are standing, holding back the wind, the earth. They're holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on them. But remember back when God was sending them out from chapters five and six and he was sending out the angels and he said, these would the, represent the four winds. Guess what? They're holding back until God's command. This tells us one big thing and one great big thing only. Nothing happens without God's permission. Nothing. No no bad things, no good things. Nothing happens without God's permission. If we have a loving God who who sent his one and only son to die for us on the cross... So that we might accept him and be able to live with him in heaven. Does he not have the best interest looking after our best interest for those who love and trust him? Is that true? Amen? Amen. Thank you. I need to hear you. So when we look at these these four angels getting ready to, to disperse pestilence on the earth. Remember, one of them gets to hold back peace. One of them gets to, remember the seven seals. These were all guys part of the seven seals. The first six seals. I'm sorry, you haven't seen the seventh seal yet. The first six seals. These are part of those. And now we're going to find out real quickly what he says, what he says to them. Do not do anything until we have, I mean, verse 7. Do not, I mean, is it? No, verse 3, sorry. Do not harm the earth or sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. How many of you have only heard about the bad seal on your forehead? I mean, if that's the only one when you've ever heard about is, you know, I'm not getting the mark, you know. I think I want this mark. If they're, if they're going to pass this mark out, I'm going to be first in line. Sorry. Yeah, Randy thinks he is. I'm faster. So what I'm going to do is then is let you know that there is another mark that matters more than anything else. And it says on our foreheads, what the point it's trying to make is that everyone can see the light of Christ in your life. When it talks about on your foreheads, you can't see it, Right? Remember that game? There's a game that you put the animal name up here on a card and you hold it up and people, you, people try to make noises and you try to guess who you are. You know, it's the same thing. When it says put the marking on your forehead, he's trying to say we want everybody else. That's not for you to see. You know, otherwise I put it in my hand so I can just walk around and look at it. I'm sealed by God. On your foreheads means, folks, that God wants everyone else to see. That you have been sealed by God. It's your witness, your testimony, the light that you shine for Christ that matters. And that's the one he's talking about in this instance. When he says sealed on their foreheads, what he's saying is all the ones that show us the light of Christ through the way they live. It's not about what they say. It's more about what they do and who they are. Please, please make sure you understand and know that, and you can write that on your notes. And by the way, if you have your notes out, if you don't have notes tonight, they are back there on the table. We are on the chapter 7 outline. Okay. Now, in chapter, that was in, in verse 3 in chapter 7. Now, when we get to, um, right, verse 3, 4. Yeah, 4, and I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. So has anybody ever looked at this list? Is that all 12 tribes listed there? Isn't that interesting? Because there is a problem with that list. It's a very interesting problem that we have too. Because in that list, as everybody looks at it, everyone assumes that is the list of the tribes of Israel. However, somebody's missing and somebody's added. And now everybody's scrambling to go look at the list. I'm going to go to Genesis 49 and try to compare them. I know how you guys work. I see you all working it. So just in case you want to know where the other list is, it's in Genesis 49. So there you go. But I will tell you straight up front. Um, and also, one thing about any kind of genealogy list in the Jewish language, in the Hebrew language, forgive me, in the Hebrew language is they matter. They, they count. Every genealogy in the Hebrew language and in, in Israel, the family of Israel, is very, very important. Because they, they take pride in the fact of oldest son, right? I mean, the oldest son is the one who dictates everything for everybody else. So does anybody remember who, his, who Jacob's oldest son was? It was Reuben. Okay? So Reuben should be at the top of the list. And if you go to Genesis 49, you will see, yes, it's Reuben. He 's at the top of the list, so now we look down here at this list who's first Judah hmm, very interesting not only that, but if you count one, two three, four, five let me see 5, one, two, three, four, five, six who's number six on the list yep, manasseh now that's very interesting because if you go back to uh Genesis 49, he's not on that list. Thank you. Good job, Rachel. She's right. Dan is missing. Dan has been removed. Manasseh has been put in. Which we find very interesting that, that John, a Hebrew a pastor, a, a saved Israelite, one who loves Jesus more than anything, who is Jewish, who is Hebrew, and yet he takes this and all of a sudden he sees this, And guess what? Remember the words that he always says, and behold, I saw. Remember, everything is about he's writing down what he sees. All of a sudden now it begins to take on something different. A couple of very interesting facts about Dan, one big one. There was a very famous Bible story individual who comes from the tribe of Dan. His name was Samson. Remember what happened to him. Manasseh is an interesting addition. More interesting than all of that because Manasseh was a little bit outside in the west a little bit to where his his people lived. They were a little bit separated from the other 12 tribes. But even more importantly is who is at the top of this list. Because he who is at the top of this list, do you remember what it is said of Jesus in Matthew when he talks about he is not only Jewish, he is from the tribe of Judah. Remember? And even the angel that says, who is worthy to open the scroll? What does he say in chapter 5? chapter five? What did he say to him? He said, hey, please know. You know who is worthy to take the... And and as John's weeping, he says, weep no more. Do not worry. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So let us look a little bit as to why in this 144,000 number, it all of a sudden has changed up. And it is the fact that the Messiah, the tribe of the Messiah, Jesus, who came to save who? The world. The world. Jews, Gentiles, everybody alike. We, in our thinking, the, hundred, the fact that it says 144,000 to us, that is a very specific number. What would make it even more specific if it said 144,322. Now that's a specific number. But in the Israelite Hebrew culture of this day, 144,000 was merely a giant big number to them. 12 tribes times 12 is 144, then times it by 10. He could have said 144 million. He could have said 1,440 million. He could have said a lot of different things to add up to that 12 times 12. But to John... 12 times 12 times 10 is a massive number. Just like when when somebody asked Jesus, he says, shall I forgive my brother seven times? What did he say? 70 times seven. And he didn't mean 490 times. At 491, you can stop. So no, that's not what he was saying. What he was doing, even Jesus used big numbers to try to get it through to the people of the day. That we're talking unlimited. This is huge. This is massive. And you're going to find out that later on, when he, after he talks about these 144,000 in the next chapter, he's going to say, and then I saw myriads and myriads and hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands. Even when he mentions the 144,000, he still is rating the numbers. Like I said. I tried to find out how much this was a specific number, and I kept running into the same research. And I'm talking about going into research from annals that were um, from the libraries of Alexandria and a few others that have the scrolls, and where it says they just had random numbers that were huge. And when we get into the numerology chapter of chapter 13, then we're going to talk a little bit more about how the number system worked in the Greek and Hebrew language. But right now, please understand that this 144,000 is more about a, a number that is, is a symbol. It's a symbol of a big and huge. We don't necessarily have any proof that is, we have more proof that it is not specific than we do that it is specific. No matter how much of a, there's a certain cult that really believes that that's a very true and, and ethnic, and if they believe that, then they believe that. And here's the thing. When this is all over, when I get to heaven, I have to stand before God. And he's going to say to me, Bill, you did this right. You, I'm not so sure that was right. You know anything. But then he's going to say, is his name in the book of life? And they say, yeah. And then I get hope, I'm going to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what matters to me. Okay, when we start talking about the tribulation, pre-trib, post-trib, a-trib, after-trib, middle-trib, All the kinds of tribs. Don't trip over your tribs is what I always like to say. Because here's the thing. Didn't matter which way and how we get up there. In the end, I get to be with Jesus. That's where I'm going to be. And and whichever way you all wish to believe. I have friends who are very heavy into the pre-tribulation and the post-tribulation. And that's okay. I mean, we believe what we believe. We'll find out. Just because we want to know everything and be the absolute marker of truth does not always mean we have to be the marker of judgment. Okay, I'll get off that soapbox. Because otherwise I'll be preaching about something else and I'll get in trouble too. So as we look at those 12 tribes, we, see, we find out that he switched them, that he switched the order for a specific person. When God gave it to John, I'm just wondering, I'm, I can't wait to get to heaven. Because I want to be able to ask. Because we can see the elders are talking to John from heaven and all this stuff. So I'm thinking I get to ask some questions when I get there. I'm going to say, hey, John. When they gave you the list, because, dude, you know the list, right? I'm going to say, John, homie, you know the list. They changed the list on you. Did anybody think to go um, uh, um, point of order, sir? You missed one, and there's a name here that is not in Genesis in the 49th chapter. I don't know that he even cared at this point. I think he wrote down what? he saw and it just amazes me how much God is telling us hey you all think that you have this thing down and you know everything you don't know but you're going to find out because when I look at the end of the book we're going we get to find out and the other side of that coin is this when we get to chapter 21 all of this stuff here is going to become real important. Somebody out here is going to raise their hand and go, hey, wait a minute. Isn't this back when we didn't we already talk about this? Yeah, because here's the thing we have to also understand. Nothing in this book is in chronological order. Remember in the very first week I talked about things being cyclical. Does anybody remember that, that when I said those words and everybody kept saying, what is cyclical? That means they can be in different orders. It's not a one, two, three, four order. It could be one, four, three, two, four, one, six. It can be in different numbers. So the the main thing is that it's all the events that have happened during the time that John was watching during this apocalypse or this revelation that, that Jesus was giving to him. So the theological statement that something has happened to the coming of the Messiah that changes the nature of Israel. So if we want to know why all of a sudden this is changing, because the messiah the purpose of israel is now going to start being realized the whole purpose of because remember god said to him said to abraham you are going to be my chosen people when he said that that was the old covenant something has changed israel was called and chosen not for israel's sake alone they were they were called to be the people of god not for things Because they were called for the sake of all peoples, all tongues, all ethnicities, every human being that was created by God. I mean, we can put a whole lot more categories on there, but you pretty much get the gist that God is interested in every human being created on this earth. From the moment of conception till the day that we take our last breath and get to go be with him. He is concerned, cares about, loves, wants you to know him stronger than anyone else. That's who he is. And if you look at chapter 5, 9th or or 10th verse, you're also going to find out that the heavenly choir will be singing that they were purchased for God with his blood, men and women from every tribe. Every time that you see the phrase, every tribe, it means all of humanity. I just love the fact that there is no there is no ethnic diversity. There's no financial diversity. The one who has all the toys wins. No, mm-mm, sorry, it doesn't work that way. Every single human being. The 144,000... It's a very big symbolic number, represents the complete number of God's people now made up of Jews and Gentiles, all alike. And I'm very grateful for that because I wasn't born in Israel. But I do know that when it's all over, I get to go spend eternity with the king. Amen? All right. Now, the second scene, because if you'll notice in your notes... You'll see that when I was labeling these notes in chapter 7, I talked about one certain thing real quick, and I want to get to that because I know I have it in here. I have to figure it out. There it is. Okay, I have two scenes, and we call this the interlude because it's the interlude between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. That's why I call it the interlude. So the four angels, they're given power to harm the earth and the sea, but they're told, hold back. God says, you don't get to do anything yet. And then the other, another angel came from the east, from the rising of the sun, commanding the four angels, don't harm them, until we've sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number 144,000 from every tribe of Israel. Isn't that interesting? Every tribe of Israel. What happens What does Peter tell us happens once we we come into the family of God? we We are in God's family, a holy priesthood. When it says tribe of Israel, it's letting Israel know, guess what? It wasn't just for you because you were born in Israel. It's because that you are in God's family. And now Jews and Gentiles are all together in God's family. I find that very interesting. There was no exclusion between Jews, Gentiles, colors, races, or anything in this book. It's all together. All for one and one for all. And guess what? We all get to do it together as long as one thing. People can see that seal on our forehead, the light of Christ that shines out. So starting in verse 9. After this I looked. Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels, were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Before we move on, there was a story I read once that said this. Did you know that there are places where it talks about the fact that angels are jealous of us as humans. We'll get to that. My goodness, now you scan, yeah, now you speak up. We'll get there <laughs> because it says that the angels I'll just say this: a certain uh, Israelite on the road to Damascus that got saved wrote in some of his letters, because actually it was that a big enough hint. Okay. We found out that even the angels were jealous of humans. And we we kept wondering why is that? So I went and I figured out what's the what's the deal? Does anybody know the answer? Because as a created being in heaven who automatically loves the Father, you never had a choice. So you would never experience salvation. Come up louder. He, he seeks us out. We have relationship with him. Great point, Rachel, because you're, that's, that's the first part of it, and that's exactly correct, is, is we get to have that. And they didn't. You're right. The angels didn't. They were just there. That was a good point. But the other side of that coin, then, to me, seems to be this, that when you have this All of a sudden the angels and everybody fell on their faces before the throne. Worship God and saying they weren't already down. It wasn't until those clothed in white robes from every tribe and nation. And with the palm branches crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Notice that the angels and the elders didn't drop until those people spoke out. Once the angels experienced and watched and were close to somebody receiving salvation and experiencing salvation and seeing what it did to somebody, the angels just fell down before and thought, oh, God, this is why you are who you are. This is why you do what you do. This is who we are in heaven. When one angel, and, and I'm sure you've heard the phrase before, when one soul comes in, all of heaven rejoices. When one soul comes to knowledge and saving grace of Jesus Christ, when one person decides I'm going to be in the family of God, I got the most exciting text today from a dear friend who I worked with for many years. And she said to me, and they had to move, her family had to move to Texas, and she says to me, Bill, I just thought of you first when I found this out, but I've been going to church a lot, and today I prayed to receive Jesus. I thought I was going to... I started getting so excited, and Kathy, so I started screaming. Kathy goes, what happened? What happened? And, and I showed her, because Kathy knows the person. I showed her the text, and she's screaming, and our family's like, we've lost our minds, but that's okay. Because all of heaven was rejoicing. I prayed to receive Jesus. That was amazing to me. That was amazing to me. And I thought for tonight's message that's so perfect because the angels got to watch and experience every tribe and tongue and language and and all the people from everywhere stating out and shouting, salvation belongs to our God. Right? Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, the, the angels can make those statements, but they're not going to feel what you felt. On that day that you came to know who Jesus is. When I was at the camp and I was was up there and and I knew that I was giving up drugs and the life that I had down the mountain. I knew I had a rough time coming down the mountain. Once I got there, I was going to have to do a lot of explaining to do. But I knew this. The joy, the fulfillment, the things that were inside me were so amazing that I wasn't even scared to go down and talked to some very scary people about what I did before. All I knew was that our salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. When these angels saw this, they fell down. They fell down, the elders dropping their crowns to the floor. They fell down and they said, oh my gosh, they they all dressed and said, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So let it be and let it be so. (laughs) I get in a lot of trouble sometimes when people will say things to me and I'll ask questions to make them find the answers. So for all of you that keep walking up to me and going, but I want to know this right now. And I said, well, go find it. That's why when I said that and you said where, I'm saying I gave you a great big hint. I'm not in the habit of just throwing out the answers. I would rather you go find out. You get to go see. I gave you a pretty big hint. I mean, it won't be that hard to find. But the other side of this is this next verses because this cracks me up. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? From where have they come? You don't think he already knew the answer to that question? I mean, really, do you think he knew the answer to the question? He watched this whole scene unfold, right? Like he doesn't know. And I love John's answer. John just looks at him like he'd lost his mind and says, Sir, you know? I mean, if anybody knows, you know, really? You're asking me this? And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. (laughs) That phrase, and he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great revelation. So if you're pre-trib and the church has been raptured, right, and the tribulation is going on and now we have a whole bunch saying here, every tribe standing before the throne and calling out who God is and how amazing he is, salvation has come to, from our God, right? These are the ones coming out of the tribulation. I hope you get that that means that even during the tribulation, whenever it is, God will still be accepting those who want to come out of it and claim him as Lord, Savior, and the God of gods. No longer will they be bowing to a snake, a lizard, a piece of fruit, an orange, whatever. Now they're going to be bowing to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God said, and he says to them, these are the ones who have come, are coming out, are coming out, continual, doing it all the time. It's not have come out, will come out, did come out. There is no who are coming out, the ones coming out of the great tribulation, open-ended, continually happening. Now, there will be a time when it's not possible to come out and ask for that salvation, Don't even say when. You're going to find out. But it's not today. It is not today. For those of you online, and for you even here, if you truly believe that you are so far gone that God can't get to you, nothing is further from the truth. I have people sitting before you and myself that can give you testimony of all of us who believed that. So if you're watching and you truly believe that God cannot help you, I'm sorry you are so wrong. This is the one time that I will tell you how wrong you are. Because God himself has reached out and said to you, I gave my only son on the cross so that even if you were the last person on this earth, that son still would have died so you could spend eternity in heaven. And if you desire to make that commitment of faith and say that prayer and you want more information, please contact me. Say, this is for Bill, I need to know. Pastor Jeff, I need to know. Pastor Eric, I need to know. Find us, you contact us and I'll give you that information at the, there you go, pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. Please don't go another day without finding the one who loves you the most. Sorry, had to do that preach. There you go. A little bit, I just felt like that needed to be done. So, for those of you out there that needed to hear that, please respond because that was for you. Just so you know. When we get to, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So, what color is blood? So they washed their robes in the blood of the lamb and they became white. I can't wait to see that. Is that going to be like serious cool? So you have this thing of red liquid and you go and you pull it up and then it's all pure white. That's going to be amazing to me. See, only God can do that. That's not a, you know. And it won't be that oxycontin, that oxytin thing. It's none of that. This is God in the blood of the lamb. This is him. Amen. Sorry, I I apologize for those of you that use it. Randy, I I told you I was going to do it again. I try to stop that stuff from coming out, and it, it goes out anyways. Here we go. Verse 15, please. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. I'm thinking they don't have to worry about anything. God, the creator of the world, is the one who shelter you and shelters you with his presence. It's like, they don't, you don't want to mess with me because my big brother ain't nothing, but he is. Him who sits on the throne, I don't think you want to mess with him. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These three verses, who's he talking about? Those who are coming out of the tribulation. Every single person who's coming out of the tribulation. One question real quick. Say it loudly. And I know you know the answer to this. Those that are com- the ones who are coming out of the great tribulation is the only tribulation here. Does anybody experience tribulation every day on this earth now? Yes. Okay, thank you for sharing the two or three of you that answered. Let me try that question one more time. Does anybody here experience any kind of tribulation on this earth? Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. I figured there's somebody went to sleep on me. Here's what gets me. Tribulation has one big giant word. I'll give a Starbucks card to anybody who remembers it. I did a sermon on it. Pastor Eric did a sermon on it. Oh, look at them. They're all scratching their heads. Let's try thalipsis. Remember, thalipsis, extreme pressure. At any time in your life, are you experiencing extreme pressure? Are you kidding me? From the moment I. Thank you very much, you're absolutely correct. Every day. Today at work. Today wait, That's right. Okay, we're not, we don't want to know when the church secretary says today at work. That doesn't mean anything. My point simply is this: If there is tribulation, if there is thalipsis, T-H-I-L-I-P-S-I-S, thalipsis, if there is thalipsis in your life, extreme pressure, that's the tribulation that you can that can be released. That's what he's talking about. Those that are coming out of the great tribulation, the great extreme pressure. Now, this one, he could be talking about the, the specific one. Chances are, yes, but when I read that, I can't help to believe that there is also extreme pressure in other places. Extreme pressure when you get a call from the doctor that says, oh, the doctor noticed something in your labs. He needs to see you today. Yeah, that happened to me today. Jeannie knows, yeah, that happened to me today. It was nothing, it wasn't even a minute. And when I told Jeannie what happened, she says, why didn't he do that with a phone call? And I said, there's a good question for you. (laughs) <laughs> he needed the money. That's funny. So when we talk about extreme pressure, this is pressure that is so, that is so much that it is the same, it's, it's the same kind of tribulation that olives go through in those meals. Have you ever seen how they make olive oil? They put it into a big vat and they start to squeeze it down. And the first olive oil that comes out on the top That's kind of like a really, that's like the cream of of the top. Because they say, oh, cream rises to the top. So does great olive oil. That's the EVOO that you always hear about. The extra virgin olive oil that comes out on the top. That's very, the cleanest and everything else. Then by the time they get to the bottom, it's the dirty oil on the bottom that they use for like their lamps, things like that. It is only through that extreme pressure that that olive oil is made to do that, which served so much in this day. Same thing with a black piece of coal and a diamond, right? How do they get that diamond out of that coal? They put it under extreme pressure. All the bad stuff falls away, and then pretty soon that wonderful diamond becomes evident. I'm waiting for all the bad stuff to fall away on me so that the diamond can be seen. When when that... (laughs) She's my favorite. When, when, when there comes a day when you feel like you're under extreme pressure, and I've said this before, and I'll probably say it a hundred more times before we're done here in the next few months. When we feel like we're under thalipsis, when we're under that extreme pressure, and all of a sudden our first cry out is to why, God, why am, I get, why, why am I having to go through this? I don't want to go through this. None of us do. Instead of asking, why is this happening? Why are you doing this? Can we say, what are you trying to teach me? Instead of why, let's ask what. Because, my dear family, what you're going to find out, and I hope you've already seen it once, but in the coming months, and this book is proof, and the reason I love this book, and it's such a book of encouragement to me, is that by watching this book, what I find out is as a child of God, as one who serves him and one who hopefully has that light and that seal on my forehead that people can see the light of Christ, if I am that one, then that also makes me a target to the enemy. So in reality, then, if you look at it that way, then what you realize is it's not that you're doing anything bad. Why am I getting this, God? Why did you do this to me? Is there something I've done that's bad? No, no, no. Hey, God, what are you trying to teach me? Because if the enemy's coming after me that hard, then I must be able to be doing something that I think is better than anything I could do. And we always want God to tell us when our blessings are coming, don't we? We want God to say, wait, God, tell me what you're going to do first because I want to watch and see. And then sometimes we'll be going through something, we'll do something really amazing, and all of a sudden we realize we've had a God moment, we did not realize what it was, but in the same time God has used it. Just like in here, when these people started to praise God in those early verses, when they started to talk to God and and, and praise Him in verses 9 here in this chapter, and the angels saw it, they saw the seal, and the angels got excited because those who could experience salvation gave a testimony, gave a picture, showed them what it was like to be forgiven and accepted by the Him who sits on the throne. If we get to see that and do that and be accepted by Him who sits on the throne, there's nothing that can stop us. Amen? Yeah. Hey, you're getting better. That's good. Because I hope you realize that when we get to this point of all of a sudden Oh, gosh, I've got a lot of battle scars from being on this earth. Each one of those scars means that, hey, you ticked off the wrong, you ticked off something and somebody in the spiritual realm that they didn't like what you did, so they had to take you out. When we experience the bad things for the good we do, there's a purpose in Jesus Christ that I hope we begin to accept. Because, dear loved ones, that means that you're doing something far better, far more amazing, far more extraordinary than you would ever believe possible. So, vote, those of you that are feeling like your knees are skinned right now, that you, you've got to get up from the battle because it's heavy. For those of you on air that are watching the stream, for the, if you feel like I can't take this pressure, there is one who can. Give it to him. And, and, and here's the other thing. Once we pray and we want to give our troubles to Jesus, let go of the string. <laughs> You're all laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Because what do we do with the string? Yes, we pull it back. See, well, the key to giving something to God is to really give it to him. It's when he looks at us and goes, wait a minute, I know Bill gave that to me. What, did he take it back again? Family, we need to remember when we give things to God, let him do it. Who's got the bigger shoulders? Not me. I would, when I, if I can ever learn, hopefully I'm getting better at it, but hopefully I'm learning that when I give things to God to release it, to trust, to have faith, to know that he's going to take care of it. When these people who went through the great tribulation came down and instead of saying, let the mountains fall on us and kill us because we don't want to face the lamb. Instead, they fell to their knees, fell prostrate before the lamb and said, Father, forgive me. I didn't know what I was doing. Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Those are the ones that got the white robes. Those are the ones that came out and gave testimony to the angels in heaven. Those are the ones that showed what it really means. That when you go through the great tribulation, it's not because you are capable of doing extra bad, but it's because the enemy knows you're capable of doing extra good as we close tonight at the end of this chapter, we can sit all night long and talk about all the bad things we've done. We can talk all night long about how much extreme pressure we're going through. We can talk all night long about how the enemy has made us his number one target. Everybody can. There's lots of sorrow in this world right now. But instead, I would encourage you It is now in Pacific California time for our friends in the other states, just so you guys know, especially for the ones that are texting me and calling me at six o'clock your time or eight o'clock your time when it's six o'clock my time at 755 tomorrow night. So for the next 24 hours, I would challenge you all on stream and in here. Talk about the amazing things and the amazing ways that God has brought you through it. Find them. Find all the ways and all of the things, all the blessings in your life. Let's start counting the blessings. Don't wait till November when it's Thanksgiving to say, oh, we're giving thanks for this. Everybody can do that. But today, in the middle, at the end of March, let's say, hey, let's start thanking God for who he is, for what he's done. But get specific. Get specific. I'm thanking God right now for my friend in Texas who sent me that note. I prayed to receive Jesus. That made me so happy. That's another one the enemy doesn't get. Please, the next 24 hours, till five minutes before eight tomorrow, and then, and Jeannie's gonna love me for this, send me an email. Pastor at LighthouseCommunity.com. <laughs> Send me those emails and tell me, hey, Bill, here's all my blessings. I would love to be able to walk up in announcement time on Sunday morning and go, looky here, this is what God's doing. Is that amazing or what? Because as others, as, as the, the, those who came through the tribulation have proven to the angels It is by their testimonies that the angels caught it. If the angels can catch it who don't even understand salvation, how much more can your family and friends and all of those around you catch it and understand what it means to experience the most amazing thing that God does in sending his son for the simple reason that God himself, the one who sits on the throne, wants to spend eternity with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know all the needs of everyone on the stream. I don't know the needs of everybody in this building. But you do. So at eight o'clock tonight, God, I ask this: that you would hold each heart close to yours, that those who need to feel your loving arms around them would feel them closer feel you closer than ever. For those who need to have the touch of the great physician, that they would know the strengthening power of healing that only you can give. For those that are in dark places. And truly believe the only way they can feel better is from putting a needle in their arm or taking another drink. Help them to put it down, God. Touch their bodies. May they feel your presence and your Holy Spirit in a mighty way at this very moment. Heavenly Father, for my dear family who is here, may you help us to continue to be the light from the lighthouse. God, we pray that you have touched this word tonight, that as it blesses our hearts, we would be able to take it and share it and know it with all those around us. And Father, may we walk in wisdom until the day that we can say, Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come and welcome him with open arms. And Father, and now unto the Lamb and him who sits on the throne, In Jesus' mighty name, we offer these prayers. Amen.